0: Welcome to The Real Freedom Podcast, where we inspire you to pursue your passion to gain time and financial freedom through opportunities in real estate. I'm your host, Mike Swenson. Let's get some real freedom together. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The Real Freedom Podcast. And today, we're going to talk about mortgages, mortgage notes, and investing. And so today, I've got Chris Seveny here and uh, he has 70 investments and he's been a real estate professional for more than 20 years uh developed over 750 million dollars in real estate as uh, the son of a lifelong educator you now want to share note investing and your knowledge of that for first position performing and non-performing notes so you have a master's or getting your master's degree from georgetown university Been able to build your investment portfolio to over $5 million for notes and your real estate portfolio to over $7 million. Lots more for us to talk about, but thanks for coming on the show, Chris. So excited to have you.
1: Yeah, excited to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me. I've been investing in the mortgage note space for the last five years, as you mentioned. Uh, I've been in real estate and construction development for over 20 years. And uh, the one quick little story I'll say about how I got into notes is. I stumbled upon them and I was actually upset at the time because I had been in real estate for over 15 years at the time and never knew mortgage note investing was around. And then I got heavily involved in it because of the ability to be able to do it from anywhere in the world at any point in time. And I started doing it and one of the things I wanted to do is start sharing a lot of my knowledge that I get from mm-hmm. that and you know, so forth. And we launched podcasts as well that uh, at the end I can tell people about uh, from that perspective.
0: Yeah, the Good Deeds Note Investing podcast. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I like to share with people, you know, we talk about building wealth, gaining, you know, time and financial freedom through opportunities in real estate. And another big part of that is I want to share where people have come from because what I want to have happen is, you know, there's so much opportunity in the real estate industry. I want somebody to say, you know, based on my skill set or knowledge, like maybe I haven't quite found my fit. But now I heard Chris's episode and Chris's background, that really clicked for me and that makes sense. You know, so why don't you just share a little bit about your background and kind of how you got to where you're at today um, to, to maybe inspire somebody who's listening to say, yeah, that that path makes sense. I like that.
1: So the first thing I'll tell people about inspiration is it does not matter how old you are. You know, I'm 46 years old. I'll be 47 later this year. And I didn't start investing in my own portfolio till about 2013. And several reasons why I do come from, you know, I had a civil engineering degree out of college. I graduated in the late nineties and I was working for large general contractors uh, doing a lot of commercial projects. And anyone who's ever been in that business, especially back in the nineties, two thousands when the economy was good is, you were working at least 60 hours a day. You know, it was expected to work Saturdays. Mm -hmm. The work-life balance back then compared to now is significantly different and it also kind of handcuffed you where you weren't really had the time or the energy to want to do things on your own, especially if you're working that many hours, you know, family time and everything else, you know, it truly was almost impossible. Uh, so in 2000 and, uh, and in 2008, uh, you know, I'll share a story about where I was at and my life was, uh, I was a week after Lehman Brothers collapsed, I was working, I'd switched jobs a year prior um, because I was overstressed and wanted to be close, work closer to home. So I took a new job with a different developer and a week after Lehman Brothers occurred, the crash, uh, I walk into the office on a Monday morning. I was usually the first one there, but all all the executives were there. So something, I'm like, what's going on? Their Mm -hmm. cars were there, but they weren't there. And all of a sudden they come in at like 9.15 and come in my office, close my door and say, essentially, hey, look, about two thirds of the office is getting laid off today. Uh, You're not one of them, but here's a contract that uh, basically extends your employment till Thanksgiving, essentially, um, to uh, finish up your projects and then basically go on your way. And there's a potential, it could be extended, but they never told you like how long. Mm -hmm. And for people around that time, You know, the market kept crashing. Uh, And about two weeks later, um, my wife at the time came to me and said she wanted a divorce. So kind of world's crashing down. Literally that December 1st, I hopped in the car. I went back to my old company, but drove down to DC and started from there. Uh, Since that time, I've gotten remarried. I have two wonderful kids. And like I said, in 2013, we built our primary residence. uh, And then we had a lot of equity based on the time we built it. And my boss at the time, I was working for a different developer at switch jobs, had rentals in San Diego. And he asked me how many rentals I have. And I said, none, he's like, hmm. dude, how are you going to retire? Like you need to get into real estate investing. So he sparked my interest. And I know I'm kind of long story short. Uh, I started buying some rentals and doing fix and uh, basically buy and hold rentals where we'd renovate them. But after two or three of them, with a wife and kids, that kind of got squashed because our weekends were tied up and I'm in the Washington DC area where it's very competitive. So mm-hmm. I ended up stumbling upon note investing because you can do that. Literally, I do it at like 10 o'clock at night or like six o'clock in the morning. You can do it anywhere as long as you have a computer and anytime during the day. That's I know there's awesome. a lot there.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it is, it is. And I, you know, cause we've we've had folks on in the past where um, I remember a, an episode we did very early on <clears throat> where he's an IT guy and he's like, you know, I noticed that all the executives in my company had a rental portfolio and I've got to get started. I've got to do something. And so he started with some short-term rentals. He ha- actually happens to, to be in San Diego now doing short-term rentals. Um, but that, that's the thing is, you know, who you're around matters. And in a case like this, somebody helped inspire you and kind of push you um, to get started in that. So so let's talk about just just kind of that beginning piece there. So you mm-hmm. took the equity that you had, um, yep. and you found. Now, was it were the, were the properties in the DC area?
1: Yeah, there are two properties in the DC area, uh, and they're actually condos. And the reason why I wanted condos, and most people are like, whoa, stay away from condos, was I wanted the least about a least amount of maintenance possible and we literally went in we replaced all the electrical in these units and just complete renovate them so i don't have to spend 100 bucks on an electrician to come fix an outlet or whatever the case may be um so the nice thing with the condos is i didn't have to worry about anything on the outside i know i was paying condo fees but that peace of mind because the busy lifestyle we had i was willing to pay that price for the peace of mind
0: we had that we had a, a townhouse um yeah. as as our first that would be our second rental and mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed that because I don't have to worry about snow shoveling, mowing yep. the lawn. Um, it was newish construction at the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the the siding, the roof, we don't have mm-hmm. to worry about any of that stuff. I think I would get a call maybe once a year, maybe every 18 months of, you know, water, heater, or furnace or something like that. But there was no maintenance. So I was able to self-manage that. So there, there mm-hmm. is a piece. Yeah, you're paying the price, um, but... <laughs> You may have paid that to a property manager. You may have paid that to maintenance crew.
1: Yep. So after that, like I said, when we really couldn't scale anymore because of a cost, but also timing. I mean, if you didn't look at a property that day, like the market today is insane. It's almost always been like that the last seven years here in D.C., uh, because especially of certain areas or neighborhoods that people want to be in, uh, so I stumbled upon on the website Bigger Pockets uh, mortgage note investing, and I was like, "What is this?" And I'm like, "Wait a second! You can actually buy somebody's mortgage from a that was originated at a bank and pay it at a discount, and basically, you know." Don't have to worry about the tenant don't have to worry or the borrower um you know calling you to fix the toilet fix a roof leak because you know if you own a house you know and something happens you don't call your lender it's like it's your house you know <laughs> all you're doing is collecting those payments yeah assuming that they're getting paid um and that's where there's the difference of there's performing notes which you know people pay on a constant stream and then there's non-performing which the one thing I'll mention that blows people's mind is most people think, oh, if I miss a, one mortgage payment, oh my God, they're going to come throw me out of my house. We have borrowers who haven't paid in three, five, six, seven years, haven't oh, made wow. a mortgage payment. So when we talk about distressed, we're talking about serious delinquency. And our goal throughout this whole process is always to try and keep them in their home uh, mm-hmm. for you know the social good. I mean, the name of my podcast, Good Deeds, um, you know, it's pun on words because mortgage is a you know, has a deed attached to it. Um, But I mean, that's our philosophy and it's what we've been doing. And it's a business that's actually very scalable uh, if you have systems in place. And that's one of the things, any real estate business, um, you know, if you put good systems in place and being a a civil engineer, not an IT guy, but I'm just very structured on everything. And that is something that allows people to be very successful um, in that space.
0: How did you move from, um, you know, I'm listening to the podcast, and now i'm I'm in the game.
1: so it was typical engineer analysis paralysis. Uh, I did about six months of studying uh I built like this crazy financial calculator that took me like i probably put like over a hundred plus hours into it, which was so overkill, but I wanted to make sure I covered every single base. And I look back now and because I've looked at so many assets, I don't even kind of need to use it anymore. It's more of a reference, but it allowed me to think a lot about that process. So after about six months of um, studying, I finally pulled the trigger and I took money from my solo 401k. So mm-hmm. I took my own money from my own retirement account, which was a whole another animal that I never knew when you left a company that you can actually roll it into an IRA or oh, you know perfect. manage it yourself. The only options they ever tell you is keep it or move it to your new company. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I took, um, it, was, it was probably like 25 grand. It wasn't a lot. Um, and again, the numbers might fluctuate up or down a few thousand dollars. I can't remember the exact number, but roughly around 25,000 to buy these four loans. And they were... One of them was performing. One of them was actually in bankruptcy, which they were paying in bankruptcy, and two of them were non performing, but they had very low balances. So the balances on these loans may have been like 10 to 15,000, but the house values were like 100,000. So the houses had equity. So, from a risk perspective, okay, what's the worst thing that can happen is basically you get them on a repayment plan or if they just completely ignore you and you're foreclosed, you would get paid off that balance at foreclosure. So I viewed it as a very low risk um, you know, type of investment. That So I would kind of make sure I wouldn't lose money or my initial investment.
0: Okay, so then just, just to clarify, and for somebody that may not be tracking this, yep. um, you're basically taking the four loans that were on the four properties. You're saying, mm-hmm. hey, instead of, XYZ bank or XYZ lender um, having the the mortgage on that, you're buying them out and now you own that. And so then, yeah, if the property Mm -hmm. goes into foreclosure, they sell it, now they cut a check to you versus where they would cut a check to the bank. But because there's equity there, the likelihood of getting your money back is strong.
1: Yeah, correct. So think of you're just stepping, and this is what blows everyone's mind. I'll just use... Wells Fargo. Um, you know, no, no association with them. Um, I do have an account with them, but you know, so Wells Fargo might be like, okay, they own the loan, so you're paying Wells Fargo. And also Wells Fargo will do an assignment. Most people probably have had this happen in the past where your payment, where you send your payments might get changed or something. Mm -hmm. Basically, your loan is probably getting sold. To from one bank to the other. So Wells Fargo might sell it to PNC, PNC might sell it to Truist, um, or one of these other banks. But if they see that there's a potential for any risk on it, that sometimes will make its way to Wall Street, which will go into a securitized and then it might, work its way down. Like anything, it funnels down to main street. So eventually I'm just stepping in the place of simple example, Wells Fargo. So instead of basically you cutting a check to Wells Fargo every month, you're actually cutting a check to me. And people will, the questions people always ask are, why would you buy something that they're not paying on? And why would a bank sell? Mm -hmm. Um, So the answer to the first question is because you're buying at a significant discount, if somebody owes twenty thousand dollars, you're not paying twenty thousand dollars for that note. You could be paying anywhere from five to fifteen thousand, depending on the state and many different factors. So, it w- but by buying at a discount it allows you more negotiation to work a new payment plan out with that borrower um, mm-hmm. because the amount of skin in the game is less. The other is why banks sell, and when you look at loans or hedge funds, as I'll use more, are the ones we buy from. It costs the same amount of money to manage a loan on a million-dollar house, a million-dollar loan, as it does a twenty-thousand-dollar loan. What do you think the banks are going to pay more attention to? You no, know, and, and yeah, and look at every employer in the United States today, and what is their biggest problem? They can't find enough people. So a lot of these loans almost get forced at? we don't have time to manage them and it's such a low balance why we bother with it it's going to cost us more money to manage it than basically if we sell it at a discount and just take the money up front
0: so they're just essentially just cashing out right like yeah yeah, they're just
1: cashing out let's
0: just say just for random Mm -hmm. numbers you know hey it's going to cost us ten thousand (laughs) dollars to figure this out or manage it or deal Mm -hmm. with a headache hey chris why don't you just take it for five And now I can be done with it. And at least I got something for it.
1: Yeah, that that's a lot of the mindset. And from a lot of the people that, you know, we buy from, because what also happens is these large institutions, they're buying tens of thousands of loans. And they break Mm -hmm. them up. They'll break them into what's called tranches, buckets. And they're like, okay, here's the top bucket. These are the ones we really want, but we were forced to buy all of these. So these aren't our cup of tea. And maybe it's a certain state they don't like. They'll carve those out and then they sell them off. And then they they'll make money typically when they sell them because they were at the top of the food chain. But then also they'll keep the ones that they want at the top of the food chain. And uh, like I said, spin off the other ones. Mm-hmm. it's no different than say you're buying a portfolio of rentals from one person and seven of them were in one town and the eighth one was in another town. It was a little further away than your property manager wanted to go. You're like, you know what? Because I'm getting such a great deal, I'll buy it, but then I'm just going to turn around and sell it to somebody. It's the mm-hmm. same theory.
0: Yeah. So then what happens when you uh, acquired those? Are you calling up the homeowner and saying, Hey, I'm, I'm this guy, Chris. Uh, I've now got the mortgage here. Let's talk. How, do, yeah, how does that yeah, process work? Yeah,
1: hell no. First off, <laughs> uh, and the reason I say that is, you know, the CFPB, you know, um, Consumer Finance Protection Bureau, and all RESPA and all the laws. Like when you go to get a mortgage, you know, you sign like four thousand pieces of paper, um, mm-hmm. all the disclosures and so forth. Uh, this industry is heavily regulated. And it's that's one of the I don't want to say downsides, but something to be aware of is you really get to know the rules. So the first rule in note investing is never service your own loans, which is never collect the payments, never call the borrowers. Right. Um, now, if they reach out to you because they know you own the loan, that's you know of course you can have a conversation with them, right. but you pay a company to collect those payments. Typically costs call it twenty five bucks a month per loan, but they're also They're making the phone calls. They're sending the monthly statements. They're applying when a payment comes in, the principal versus the interest on the loan. They're sending out the 1098s to the borrowers. Mm -hmm. They handle that whole process. Now, I'm a big fan of working on your business. I mean, you know, not in your business. Mm -hmm. So why do you want to be sending out monthly statements? And then if somebody's late, you have to send a late notice. Because if you don't, it's a violation that you can get fined every time you don't do it. So, you know, in software to use that stuff, it's, you definitely. Definitely right. leverage definitely, the definitely, people yes. that have
0: gone before you and done that. <laughs> yes. So then, so then, how how does that work on the back end? So they essentially now you're you're hiring them; they service the loan, yep. and then how does your money come back to you? Do they, so every month or quarter, or how does that?
1: Yep. Every pretty much every month. Um, you know the servicer. You know I've got right now a little over 250 loans under management, and I have them between uh, three different servicers right now. Um, because of like different states, I like different ones in different areas. But yeah, every week they take the remittance, the payments from the prior week. They'll send me, like, here are your payments from last week and just deposit it right into my bank account. And I can log in and see, like, you know, which borrower paid, which one didn't. Very similar to, again, people who have rental portfolios. You know, if you've got 10 doors and you use like Appfolio or one of those things, you know, you can log in and say, okay, who's paid, who hasn't paid. And then, you know, they get paid and then they just send me the, the money through. To, back through to me.
0: How have you strategically then what, what have you learned from? I bought these first four, four to now you're up to two fifty. How are you kind of strategically improving as you go?
1: Oh, we don't have time for this, but uh, <laughs> uh, in five so, minutes or yeah, no. Um, I will say, I mean, a lot of growing pains, a lot of lessons learned. And that's one of the things why I educate people is, Hey, I can tr- share with you the mistakes I made to kind of have you leap forward and jump over those. Um, this business is very different than conventional real estate. Like in your market, it's probably cutthroat for real estate and note investing because most people invest across the country. I've got people I know who do this and we like share information back and forth, or I have a deal. I'm not interested. It's, you know, there's a term that goes around called coopetition, not competition, because there's so many assets typically that you can't take them all down. Mm-hmm. Um, compared to, you know, if you're in San, like, I think you're in San Diego, you know, it's like, Hey, a deal comes up, people are just scratching, you know, chomping it to bit to get it on a real estate deal. Um, but the biggest thing takeaway I would tell from scaling perspective is choose your right partners. Don't go cheap. And that's where I made mistakes in the past where I'd have a company do something and it's like a one-man show. And all of a sudden that one-man show is a no-man show. Um, so then all of a sudden I spent thousands of dollars on them and then all of a sudden they're not providing the service I need. So then I have to flip and start all over again. And not only is it the, you know, the cost, but it's the time. And that time, again, I go back to, I have to spend now on that you know, in my business versus on my business. Uh, So that would be the biggest thing I tell people is build a kick butt team around you that knows what they're doing. And basically you still need to manage them, but it's a, I'll say a light management, not heavy management.
0: Mm -hmm. And how many hours per week are you you working on this? Uh,
1: Typically, because I have systems and I have um, somebody who helps me as well. Uh, But before I... Uh, probably let's see, probably about 30. So I do have a full-time job. But I probably spend a good 30 hours a week on this as well. Uh, it would be a lot more, but I will say I have spent probably a little over $50,000 in software. Uh, to basically I bought software that the servicing companies use that is very handy to manage. It takes the place of probably two employees. So it was actually cost savings. Now people are like, well, yeah, I get started. Nobody has 50,000 of B software. I didn't start with that. I started with Excel. And what I did is every time I make profits, you know, those profits would just go back to get reinvested. I'd reinvest in the company. I reinvest in the systems to scale because what happens is you get to a point where you get stuck in retired to, okay, I'm in this spot in order to make that leap. I need to spend X amount of dollars. And it's like, Oh, do I spend that much money? Cause it's considerable money. And that 50,000 was over time. The first bucket was like 12,000. Then I spent 10 on an upgrade and, you know, over time, but that's the conundrum because people get caught kind of in that middle space. And what I would tell people is, you know, save up for it. And it's worth taking that leap take your time to get there, but then you take that leap. And then it's kind of like moving the needle that, okay, you're kind of, you know, I'll say like, I'll use a federal government as an example, you know, the pay scales they have and stuff like you get caught in somebody, you know, in between like this bracket, you know, if you can make that leap, then you, you reset your floor And by resetting your floor, it can lead to continued growth and it'll be for your business. It's a hard decision. It's a scary decision. Um, and it's a risky decision, but everyone I talk to typically after you've been doing it for a few years and you know what you're doing, it pays off.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. We often talk about uh, in the real estate business, like breaking through a ceiling of achievement. Like you've hit that yeah. plateau and you know to go from this level to this level, I've got to do something different. Otherwise, you're just going to continue on that.
1: Plateau. I'm going to steal that breaking through the uh, ceiling, ceiling of achievement. achievement. Yeah, I'm writing that down and stealing that.
0: <laughs> awesome. I, I didn't come up with the phrase, so I don't need okay. to take credit for it. But uh, where do you plan on taking the business from here? So you're up to uh, 5 million right?
1: Yeah. It's actually grown even since then. It's probably doubled since that time. Uh, Right now we are working on uh, even scaling that significantly greater uh, to uh, greater lengths. We're in the process of starting to scale with additional team members to bring on board. Uh, And I'm a big proponent of, you know, slow growth in the sense of, you know, just don't scale and then figure it out later um, I've been master planning for since 2020 um, you know I, I did finish my uh, my master's at Georgetown and my thesis was actually on raising significant money for a fund to invest in mortgage notes so I wrote my thesis which was my basic business plan that i was just going to take and implement it a later date so that's what I'm focused on right now is looking to eventually scale this to a level where we're going to build out a staff of um, you know five or six employees and really bring on a team of experts and, uh, to really focus and manage to allow for the growth we're looking for.
0: And then at some point, do you feel that you're going to kind of kick, kick the day job and go jump in on this full time, or do you always feel like you're going to be doing both buckets?
1: I'd love to. Um, but also hopefully nobody from my day job listens to this <laughs> episode. Um, but no, eventually, uh, you don't
0: have a large Massachusetts contingency of our so, listeners. So,
1: yeah. So, um, but the, no joking aside. Yeah. I mean, eventually, yes, it's my passion. I, but my, what I do within my full-time jobs world of real estate construction development, I mm-hmm. love that too. So I'm fortunate where I'm not in a position where I'm one of those people like, oh my God, I hate my day job. I dread going, to it every day just please calgon take me away if you remember those commercials you might be too young for those but uh older listeners know what i'm talking about so eventually yeah i mean that's the master plan on things when that occurs is still something that i need to map out and develop and like anything in life you know whatever you plan you know make sure you have a plan a b and c because life always throws you a curveball
0: yeah well, and I think too, it also speaks to the leverage that you've built through software systems and other things yep. where you can do both. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. taking time on both ends, and yet at the same time you're you're able to do both because you've invested in, in systems. And that's where, you know, we talk about real estate leverage freedom. Um, you know, you, you couldn't do it without without the leverage. And the leverage Correct. for you is is a lot of computer software and and you know, IT stuff.
1: Yeah, and the other thing I'll mention too is, you know, we've got a portfolio of notes that you know, say there's 250 of them. The average price was 40 grand, so we're it's 10 million dollars. You now, if we want to stay at 250, but then buy 80 thousand dollars on average, you know, we just doubled our numbers. By also, we're still, and it goes back to that earlier comment. We're still managing the same amount of assets in the same portfolio. Essentially, it's just the value of them increased. It's I'd say like buying a house in. Arizona that you have as a rental compared to San Diego, you know, San Diego, you're probably paying four times that price, but it's still one house. It's very similar notes where, okay, I can buy lower value ones, but then as I grow to scale, I can start replacing those with the higher value ones that allow for the exponential growth.
0: Yeah. There's a, there's a lot to cover here. And uh, it was good to to get an, an entry level uh, discussion mm-hmm. here on, on what it takes. Cause I know listeners would be curious to hear, you know, how, how can I do that? And how can you do it while still still keeping your day job? So um, congratulations for what you've been able to build and, and how that's grown.
1: Thank you, Mike. And it's been a pleasure also coming on today. And if people are interested in finding out more information about me, they can email me at chris at uh, the number seven, the letter E, then the word investments.com. If you're interested in more about note investing, you can listen to the Good Deeds Note Investing podcast as well. And our website is 7E, the number seven, the letter E, investments.com to check out uh, what we've got going on.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Chris, and educating our listeners on notes and how that works. Um, I certainly learned a lot and appreciate it. So thanks so much. Thanks for